trusting Jesus, there's no one else to trust in reality. So I think that's a good choice, people. Trust in Jesus. Um, I want to just say one thing here before I start in on the sermon. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen it in our bulletin, but um, we've added seven new deacons to the church and uh, one elder. And on May 7th, in the 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service, we'll be installing them officially, praying over them. But they're already acting as deacons and elder. And that is Todd Bolton. Is our, he's our associate pastor now. He's been added to our elder council. And then the new deacons are Joel Enriquez, um, Adam Howard. I don't know how he got in there, but he's in there. Um, Pete Knight, Tim Lottobodier, Jorge Perez, Mark Havedo, and Randy Watson. So we encourage, yeah, that's great. We encourage you to be praying with us uh, for these men who are helping give leadership to the church. Um, so if you'll be praying with us, and, uh, and then on the 7th at the 9 and the 11 a.m. service, we will uh, celebrate that in an installation process. Um, so... I love that the baptism tank is open behind me. I have to be cautious that it's open behind me, but I love the fact that it is open and that are you aware that in the last two weeks we've baptized 18 people? Yeah. So we're super thankful for that. Um, I would love to see Valley grow to be about I don't want to put a number on it too low, so let's say about 2,500 people because I think the Bay Area could use a church like Valley Bible and it could grow, amen? So I believe that I'd love to see it grow to about 2,500, but I'd love to see it grow through that baptismal tank. People getting regenerated lives, being born again and coming to those waters and growing the church in that fashion. Um, if you got to us through by way of another church and... Uh, Maybe you've moved into our area and found Valley here. We say thank you for being here, but we would love to see this grow through converts. And so um, we're praying that direction. So, uh, but what a fun time. What a fun time it is to baptize people. And it just so happens that part of our sermon this morning, and believe me, I did not plan this, but part of it is going to talk about baptism. And so stay with us on that. Uh, turn to, we called our series in 1 Corinthians, uh, the, the overarching theme is called out. Um, the church in Corinth was, you're called out when you become a believer, but then Paul's going to call them out also in here, and so we're going to see kind of both of that as we walk through this, this book. And um, my title this morning, The Folly of Divisions in the Church, and 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 10 through 17. So if you'll read that with me, we'll read it. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, and each one of you is saying, 
that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. So as we take a look at this section of scripture and uh, kind of parse it out, I want to start with how Paul reveals the divisions in Corinth. Is a kind of an, a, a way of doing that. So let's take a look at that. And that's verses 10 through 12. And um, so he says the church of Corinth was, was divided. It had become very divided. There was some divisiveness going on. But what does Paul do? Does he command them to do something? You could say in some ways he did. But um, Johnny, stand up for me. Walk right up here for me. Um, the term that he uses here for now I exhort you, I appeal to you. I beseech you is the term. And when you beseech someone, you don't do it like this. That's not how you do it. The word means in the Greek of it, I look this up, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the word, Perikleo, I think it was, but it means to come alongside of someone. So it's more like, okay, now listen, Corinth, I'm about to tell you, you got some divisions, you got stuff going on. Now let me ask you something, church. Which way do you want to be approached? Like this or like this? Which way is more effective, do you think? Because Paul had the ability. Go ahead, Johnny. Thank you. Paul had the ability. These guys that protect me, they don't know that they're going to be part of my sermon sometimes. Um, if I warned them, they might not protect me. So I think um, that's better just to do what I just did. But I think what happens here is Paul says, I exhort you, or another translation, another one, like maybe your NIV says, I appeal to you. But really the word is beseech. And that means to do just what we said. I'm going to come alongside of you right now. I'm coming alongside of you. As one that could command you. I'm Paul. I'm the Apostle Paul. I could demand that you do these things. But instead he comes alongside and he says, Brethren. There's an identification of who he's talking to. When he says brethren. Your NIV says brothers and sisters. And that's a fine translation that works to be in the body of Christ. He's talking to believers is what he's telling us there. Brethren, I come alongside you. I beseech you. And then he says, brethren, whatever your differences, whatever they were, and there were a lot of them, they are all of and in the same family. No matter what your differences are, you're still in the same family, brethren. How did you get there? That's what he's going to remind them of. How did you get in this family? And now, 
why when I just left you not that long ago, I spent 18 months with you establishing the church, left you in good hands, and now I get this report that things aren't going so well. There's divisions. And that's the main, when I look at the passage, I look at that, that divisions is the main thing that I think we're gonna talk about. And then Paul says, this is, I'm gonna reveal the divisions in Corinth. And this is what he does. He appeals to them, calls them brothers because that's what they are. You're in the same family. We're in the same church. You believe in the same Christ. What happened? What happened? Why are all these divisions going on? And we're just going to touch a few of the divisions. There's tons of them. We're going to touch a lot of them over the next few weeks, the things that were dividing them. But he talks about in this particular section, I believe the most important thing, and not that the others aren't because they're in Scripture, so they're all important. But he says, he also used one of the, uh, a very common term for every believer, the one thing that no one can call themselves or be called brethren without acknowledging the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who he came to them in, is in that name. I beseech you, I come alongside you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here on that authority. I'm here by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody that preaches in this pulpit comes by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get up here, hopefully, if you're not, you shouldn't be up here. Okay? But hopefully, you come representing him. I do not represent Larry Howard today, even though you see Larry Howard. I represent what Christ wants to say. In the, I don't even represent Paul. I represent what Christ says through Paul, what the Lord wanted said through the writing of Paul. That's what we represent when we step in a pulpit. We represent what God once said. Amen. Amen? And if we ever do anything different than that, please let us know. Yeah, we give you permission. I know some of you, I've given you that permission. You've come up and said, you know what? You told me I could do this. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. I am fine with that. We see Paul uses this expression in, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses it in other epistles too because that's the authority by which he comes. He's not representing the Roman government. He's not doing any of that. He's, he has in common grounds of every believer, whether it was Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Chloe, or Stephanus, Erastus, or Cordus, believers then or now, rich believers or poor, educated believers or illiterate, members of nobility or peasant stock, whatever your economic status or race, all have one thing in common, an attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our common theme. The DNA of every Christian begins and ends with Jesus Christ. It just does. So I'm glad to be here to be able to express some of these things. Because I found out, being the executive pastor of a church this size, that there's still some divisions in the church. I would have hoped that Paul, being an apostle, who met face to face with Jesus Christ, could have fixed this. But there's still divisions in the church. That's why it's written down, and we have to follow the plan of what Paul said to do here because it's what God says to do to get out of those divisions, to stay away from those divisions. So he's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. He's appealing to them. 
by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul follows up his appeal with an invitation, I call it, that they all agree, that they would all be united, that they would all agree in their speech, putting aside divisive speech. Now, my New American Standard doesn't say speech, but your NIV will say that, that we talk in the same way, that we say the same things, we agree. Now, that's, you gotta be clear on this, that's what you do as the church, in the church, and as active members of the name of Jesus Christ being the name that you follow. That's what you do. It does not mean that you agree on everything there possibly is. Okay, so I sometimes like to say what it doesn't say before I say what I think it says. So it doesn't say that if you are a Warriors fan that, and there's somebody sitting next to you who's a Lakers fan that you have to agree. You guys know what those are, right? Warriors and Lakers fans? If not, I could do Raiders and 49ers if you'd like. It doesn't mean I have to like the same teams that you do, but it means what he's really pointing at is when it comes to things of the word, when it comes to these scriptures, we should be in agreement. We have to have one-mindedness. We have to have the same kind of speech about what this word says. So they all must agree. They must have unity. And to have unity, you have to have unity in the doctrine and the local assembly of the church. Doctrinal unity that is based upon scriptures. Doctrinal unity that's based on scriptures. That's why Valley Bible Church has five E's. They're out there on the wall. If you look up our doctrinal statement online, you can read it and go, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But for everything we say, we back it up with Scripture. Can I hear you say amen? amen. You can please help me preach a little bit. I know you don't think I need your help because I'm so loud, but help me out a little bit. I want to know you're awake. Willie's not here on this service. I don't know where he's at. So you're supposed to put aside a few things. Paul points out three things, I believe he does anyway, that says, put aside these things, divisive speech, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. And like I said, that doesn't mean you've got to like the same sport teams. It doesn't mean that you, you know, listen to this. The system that we live in is intended to divide you. The world's already dividing you. The United States has divided you from day one. Some of you in this room are Democrats. Some of you are Republicans. That seems like it divides. I know you're not supposed to talk about politics. I'm not really talking about that. Matter of fact, you have those two lines and people can't agree to be on one side or the other so we get this thing called independence. Because we, we just naturally divide. We naturally have different opinions. So we divide. It's kind of, it just happens. You know, I, I, my wife is sitting right here. I love her more than anybody else in the whole wide world. And we can be divided on issues. But you know what we can't be divided on? This. 
If my dear wife were to say there's another way to heaven besides Christ, she would never do that. But if she did, I'd have to disagree with her. I'd have to say, no, that's not true. We're going to be divided on that issue. Guess what? I'm divided with some brothers and sisters that I love dearly. But I'm divided on different parts of Scripture because I believe that it says something different than they do. That's kind of sad. That's not how it was intended. But that's what's happened. And it happened way back here at the beginning of the church. This is way back. The church wasn't in existence very long when these divisions started to happen. And then there's this divide. And we see this, divisive organizational areas. Organized religion that's divisive. Organized religion that's, this is where you get denominations. We call it denominationalism. And we, you know, we're going to look here, at, at, and we already read it. You know, I'm from Paul, I'm from Apollos, I'm from Cephas, I'm from Christ. We have all those statements going on. You go, well, man, we don't have those problems today. No, we have Pentecostals, Assembly of God, Nazarene, uh, Catholic, um, Baptist, First Baptist, the only Baptist, the, whatever Baptist you want to call it. We got all those instead. And they all have some difference in what they believe in. Now, Paul later on says if they preach Christ, leave them be. And I believe that. And I believe there's people from every one of those groups that I love dearly. I grew up with a lot of them. But it can be divisive. It is divisive. And then, of course, there's the divisiveness of just opinions. Just opinions. Evidently, it was reported to Paul that they were not of the same mind or that they were judging things the same. They were not. They were not judging things in accordance with the Scripture or what Paul had taught them. He hadn't been gone that long when he gets the letter that tells him there's this stuff. So what happens when you are divided? What happens when there's divisions? You start to have these kind of things. Don't you? Um, we just came through a thing called COVID. How many of you remember that? Yeah, some of you are awake. I heard half of you say, yeah, I remember that. I think a lot of you are disgusted, so you wouldn't even comment. All right. Do you know how dividing that was in this church? Do you know how dividing it is to have something like that where we say, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Get a uh, vaccine, don't get a vaccine. Well, if you get a vaccine, you're an idiot. Well, if you don't get a vaccine, you're an idiot. Well, if you don't wear a mask, you're an idiot. If you do wear a mask, you're an idiot. You see where that's going. It's divisive. And it's another one of those we're kind of just set up for it. But not in here. Not when you talk to a brother or a sister. Don't talk to them like that. Don't ever tell somebody they're wrong for their opinion. If it's wrong biblically, talk to them about it. But don't let those types of things divide this church. Don't let your social media page divide this church. Matter of fact, if you talk to me, I'll tell you to get off social media. Stop it today. You won't miss a thing. I haven't been on it the whole time and I haven't missed a blasted thing. Uh-uh, I haven't. No. Of course, my grandkids live right across the street from me, so it's pretty easy. 
And so I understand that there's some real usages for some of the social media stuff. But when you get on there, and this has happened, I don't want to tell everything here because I don't think that's profitable necessarily. But in this building, in, in this church, social media, and I, I cannot tell you how many times I've had to be a mediator between a brother and a sister that got on social media and did some things that were just not right. Called somebody out, whatever, back and forth. Had to get in there and and that's, and that's our job. I love doing that. It's just part of what I do. But it's, uh, it's frustrating sometimes. The divisiveness of... And, and let me tell you something. If you claim Christ, if you claim Christ, if you've ever been on your Facebook page, I'm going to talk about Facebook for a minute. If you've ever been on your Facebook page and mentioned this church, that you're a, a member of Valley Bible Church, and then you get on there and say some things that are ill will toward people in this church, what do you think the world thinks of that when they see you? They probably think, you know what, there's no difference in your church than not being in your church. Why would I go to your church? Divides us. It brings divisions. One of the things we know for sure is that when we have these divisions, and and he's making an appeal here, but he's also, he's going to validate his sources a little bit. He's going to say, I heard from Chloe's people that because of these divisions, there are quarrels amongst you. In the church, you're quarreling. You're fussing with each other. And like I said, I I thought that Paul would have taken care of this and it would have been no longer a problem but this remains a problem in today's world, in the world and in the church. And here's the problem. What we've done in church, uh, hopefully not here at Valley and hopefully not at the church you go to if you're a visitor. But what's happened is we've allowed the world to get in the church. The church no longer goes into the world, but we're allowing the world to get in the church. We're allowing the world to get in the church and divide us over issues that we were never meant to be divided over. Never. But that's what happens. And that's what goes on. And there's quarreling and there's fighting. And then you have factions and you have sectarianism that happens where you have these sects, not sex, S-E-C-T. You have these different cliques out there. And Paul mentions that it's going on in Corinth. He goes, now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Well, hey, I'm of Cephas. Well, I am of Christ. So I got you all outdone because I'm of Christ. Well, that would be great if that's what they really meant there, if that's what Paul was really talking about. I don't think he was talking about, hey, I'm in Christ. If you say that today, we go, praise God, you're in Christ. Back here, the Judaizers are saying, well, we got the real Christ. And he lumps them together. That's why I don't think he's talking about just, hey, I'm in Christ. Wish that was true, but I think he's saying it's another faction. It's another sect. It's another um, denomination almost, if you were. And and why would they do this? This remains a problem in church. It's called personality cults. Verse 12 is all about personality cults. 
Because I believe every one of these men is preaching Christ. I believe they've got him in the right place. I believe they're doing all that. But they've got these cults they got going on. And, and if you're not careful here at Valley, we're set up to do the same exact thing. We're set up for it. Oh, Pastor Larry's speaking today. Well, I'll just stay home. He goes too long. I think I'll just stay home today. We'll watch it on, you know, on, the, on the TV so we can fast forward through it. Or, or uh, oh, Todd's going today. Oh, I like the way Todd does. I'm going to listen to him. I'm, I'm there. You know how we know this? I, I watch it because I watch attendance. And I'm watching faces. And I know who was here last week, and I know who's not here this week. But Apollos, and then Cephas, and Paul. Look, the personality goes like this. Paul was highly educated. You know that, right? Highly educated. Um, probably more educated than anybody that ever wrote any scripture. Just brilliant in his educational process. So, and he was an apostle. So it'd be easy to follow him, right? We're gonna follow Paul. There's a problem with this. I'm gonna tell you each one of this. So the second one was Apollos. And they say he was the eloquent one. He could speak like he could melt butter when he talked, that type of thing, like just super smooth, you know? And he was highly educated too, not as much as Paul, but he was under the influence of a guy named Philo who was a Greek philosopher guy and he had worked with him and, and, and they say Philo had these allegories that he would come up with that were brilliant. And so Apollos was very eloquent. He had learned that. He was, he was what I would call, he was, they were captured by him. They were captivated by him. You ever been with somebody when they talk, everybody else just goes, like their mouths fall open. They're like, man, that guy's brilliant. No one ever does that with me, but I'm just saying sometimes <laughs> you find somebody like that, right? And you hang on every word. That's kind of who Apollos was. He was cultured. He had polished speech and style. He dressed really good. And he was smart. So he was the eloquent guy. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Well, yes, there is, really. And then Cephas, or Simon Peter, they, they called him the eminent one. And, and the, the, the more attractive physically, he was taller than all the other guys. Um, he stood tall amongst the other apostles. His discipleship and his reputation in his role at Pentecost and Caesarea and, and in his leading position of the church in Jerusalem would have made him very well known in that region. Been a very easy guy to just follow after. And then that final expression that he used there, and, and I'm of Christ. I think that was the Judaizers. They, they believed that. They were looking in commentaries and studying it historically. They said that was the Judaizers. Well, we're of Christ. Well, I'm of Christ too, but I'm not quite the way they were. And so you have those different things going on. And so Paul points them out. And, and then he walks through there gets done with that and he goes this is the problem this is what some of your quarrels are about you you set yourself up for quarrels and now you're quarreling because of the divisions that you have amongst each other you don't have the same speech you don't have the same beliefs in this your statements are different 
You need to be of the same mind and, in, and make the same judgments. What is going on in the church today? Well, we can have women pastors. We can have homosexual pastors. We can have all of these things that we know are biblically not correct. But you've got the church, the so-called church today, that's saying it's okay because we're culturally different. We're in a different time. I thought that God's word was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you have a struggle with this going on in our society today and inside the church. The world has got in the church, like I said earlier. You're taking on the view that the world has. What view will they ever take when they don't know Christ that will agree with Christ? It'll never happen. They're going to choose sin every time, people. But it's our responsibility in Valley Bible days in Valley Bible Church days, we will not succumb to the pressures of the outside world. It's this book that drives everything. And guess what? If we're not careful, those same things will divide us. They'll divide us. So now Paul goes into verse 13 and he repudiates everything. He refuses to accept their divisions. You don't have to be divided. You shouldn't be divided. And then he says this, and I love, it. I love how Paul writes sometimes. He says some things that you're just like, no duh, Paul. Like, like this. Look at 13. Has Christ been divided? No. It can never be. It can't be divided. Matter of fact, it's an impossible conclusion. What a ridiculous idea that Christ could be divided. The Godhead is absolute in its oneness. And of course, there are three distinct persons, but only one God. There are not three gods. And if we said there were three gods, we would express it like this in a mathematical equation. I like math, I love numbers. You would do it like this, and this is what some people do, and they're wrong. They're wrong if they do it this way. We would express there's three gods, and we would do it this way. One plus one plus one equals three. That's how you express it if you don't believe they're one God. A mathematical expression of what we believe is one times one times one equals one. Father times the Son times the Spirit equals God. Not the Father plus the Son plus the Holy Spirit equals God. Or they're all, no, they're all God, but they're one times one times one equals one. That's what we believe, and he can't be divided. He's not divided. The idea that, and then, so he goes from there, and then he says, let's focus, now we focused on God's son, and that he can't be divided. Now let's focus on, on God's man. The man that came to preach, the guy, the guy that's telling you this stuff. The focal point is God's servant. And it's an impossible contention or thought. Paul takes him back to the cross of Christ. In verse 13b there. In that he says, Paul was not crucified for you, was he? See, he asks these questions that he already knows the answers to. That's what he's kind of, call that kind of satirical humor in a way. He, he does this a lot in his writings. How about this one in, in, in Romans where he says, 
If God is for you, who could be against you? That's a question that he asked, knowing fully that we all know the answer is no one could be against you if God is for you. But he still writes it out and puts it out there. So he does this. So, so Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Paul was far from being crucified for them. As a matter of fact, he initially tried to eliminate the church. That's how far away he was. That's the absurdity of the question even. The idea that he was crucified for them was a, was a patently ridiculous idea. But this is a question that he asked to get them to think again. What is, what's he trying to do? He's trying to get them out of thinking about men and horizontal things. Let's look up there. Get your eyes fixed on the one that you're following. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It's not Cephas. It's Christ. That's the whole thing. I'm trying to get to verse 17 while I got time. That's where I want to get. And then he comes to this little thing we did back here called baptism. And their confession of Christ was done in the baptismal tank. And it's what was done this morning with those five and the four before that and the nine on Good Friday. They're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. I was five years old when I got saved and there's been moments where I didn't follow but the majority of the time I've been following after him ever since. That's why I can baptize a little seven-year-old. I know God can save kids. I've seen him do it. I've experienced it myself. Again, he's being satirical when he says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were you? No one got baptized in in." my name today I'm not worthy to baptize anybody in my name no no we baptize in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit the God the triune one that's who we baptize in that's who you're placed your faith in not us so Paul's driving him back to that point and he, what's amazing to me is he hasn't been gone that long and they're already turning into divisions and quarrels and all kinds of issues and putting men higher than they should be, putting them on pedestals. My pedestal's got termites or something. I don't need a pedestal. So then he rebukes them. And here's how he does that. Verses 14 through 16 I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Isn't that interesting that he just goes right from the, the divisions and all of that, and then he comes in and he says, listen, I just brought up the question about I didn't baptize you in my name. Matter of fact, I didn't hardly baptize any of you. Now, I think this is a great argument that baptism is not part of salvation. It's an acknowledgement that I've, that I've been saved. And it has that effect, but it has no effect on your salvation. That's Christ alone. You notice in the very beginning portion of this, he didn't say, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of uh, Paul who baptized you. No, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who. So now he comes and says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Christmas and Gaius. I love this because he's showing his humanity there. He's going, I didn't baptize any of you. Oh, wait, wait, except for, I mean, oh yeah, that's right, I did Christmas and Gaius. That's right, I remember that. And then he goes, uh, and, and, 
And, and why? He did a remarkable few that he baptized. How many people do you think got saved under Paul's ministry? How many Gentiles do you think got saved under Paul's ministry? Just throw a number out in your mind. Don't, you don't have to yell it out or anything, but I would say thousands, probably. And he only baptized. Like in Corinth, there was probably a, a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand. I don't know how many there were actually were there that were in the church there, but there was several, and he'd only baptized a couple of them. They were no less saved because he didn't baptize them. And what did he say? I didn't do it so that no one would say that you were baptized in my name. He had such a fear and reverence of the Lord, he's like, I would never want it to be said that you were baptized in my name. Let's stop that right now. And then he carries on remembering another fact about baptism. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, which no one's absolutely positive who that was. Some people think that it may have been the first fruits of the Achaeus uh, region, but I, I don't think that that's even accurate. Beyond that, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Could you be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and people get saved and you never baptize any of them? Absolutely. Absolutely. How many people got saved in a Billy Graham crusade? How many of them got baptized by Billy Graham? None of them. Or probably very few. So this is a, just a, a stark contrast to say baptism has nothing to do with salvation. It's an obedient act that you do after salvation. To identify yourself with Christ. That's all it is. Now we get to verse 17 and Paul reminds them of why he came to them in the first place. For Christ did not send me to baptize. And you know, I had a, a document that I was looking at that said Paul was so much like Christ. Christ, how many people did Christ baptize? I don't know of any. And Paul wanted to be so much like Christ, but what did Christ do? When people got saved, he had his disciples baptize them. Baptism was still a part of obedience. It still is today, but you don't have to be baptized for that to be part of your salvation. Nobody that went in the waters today and got, got submerged in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the reason we could even say that they're in the name of him is because they're in Christ. They're already in Christ. They're not going to get in him by getting in the water. We're baptizing him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what he's also not saying is he's not saying don't get baptized. Just because he didn't do it doesn't mean you're not supposed to get baptized. Right? Right? Okay. Wake up from your nap. But he's confirming that God did not send Paul to start up his own personal cult of people personally baptized by Paul. Now, I've got to tell you something. That does not change the fact that, oh, I wish I could have been baptized by Paul. <laughs> now, hey, I got baptized by guess who? Phil Howard. Yeah. Yeah, I did. That was fun. 
I was only 14. I remember. He doesn't even remember it. I remember it, though. Do you remember it, Phil? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> but I never thought of it as like, oh, I got baptized. But I never thought of it that way. Of course, he's my uncle, too, so that takes some of that away. But So but what did he send him for? But to preach the gospel that I preached to you when I arrived here. That's what he sent me to do. Not that you would follow in my name. Get in his name. The good news of Christ. I came to preach the gospel. The good news of what Christ has done for you. He came out of the heavens. He left heaven. He counted it nothing to be in heaven, to come and take a body, to be born of a virgin, to die, to live a perfect life to minister, to heal people, to show who the Father was, to reveal who the Father was, and then to die on a cross, be buried and raised again, and ascended to be with the Father forever. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. That's what he did. And that's what Paul came to tell them. That's what he told them in the beginning. Thank God for Paul, because he came to the Gentiles. And you're a Gentile more than likely in this room. There might be a few that aren't, but most of you are. I know my daughter-in-law and her family's got Jewish blood in them, so I can't say all. But he came to preach the gospel. And look, look, it defines this. It's wonderful. He's going back to, it's not about eloquence. It's not about the, the guy that looks the best. It's not about me being educated. It's not about any of that because he says this, not in cleverness of speech, not in cleverness of speech, not in some eloquent speaking way. Oh no, he came not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void I never want to talk you into it. I want to beg and plead with you. But the Lord has to do a work in you. He's the one. It's the cross. It's Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way to Him. There's no way to the Father but through the Son. And what must you do to be saved? Ooh, he said, the, the, the man by the road says, what, what must I do to be saved? And he says, call on the name of, the, of Christ and you'll be saved. Call on the name of Jesus and you can be saved. This morning in this room, you don't have to know who the Trinity is. You don't have to know any of that, but you've got to call on the name of Jesus. We can sometimes make it a lot more complicated than it really is, and that's what Paul was avoiding. He said, if you make it so eloquent, if I can persuade your mind into believing it, but I don't capture your heart, I've done nothing. It's void. It means nothing. If you today say, oh, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, and I believe he was buried, and I believe he rose again, so I'm saved now, right? No. No. You believe facts in your head. And I could persuade you all day long that. I might even talk you into saying a sinner's prayer with me. I bet if I was with you for about 10 minutes, I could convince most of you to say the sinner's prayer with me. That wouldn't save you. You've got to put faith in Jesus Christ. That and that alone. You have to trust that and that alone. 
So it's not super complicated. It's pretty simple. It's so simple that it stumbles most people. But Paul has to take them back to where he started with them. It was, I preached the gospel straight at you, not in cleverness of speech, not trying to persuade you and by being clever. There's nothing worse in my mind. It's one of the most horrible things there are or is is someone that comes to church week after week they're here faithfully more faithful than others but they've never placed faith in him they think by being in the building that they're going to make it to heaven and you know we have that line not to be funny but just because you go in your garage it doesn't make you a car just because you come to church it doesn't make you a Christian just because you know the facts doesn't make you a Christian I got a brother I got an uncle that died this last week he could tell you how to get saved I believe he could tell you the gospel but he wasn't saved that's tragic I wouldn't he wouldn't even known anything because he might as well have known nothing because he never accepted it I got a brother that lives in Idaho right now, my oldest brother. I think he could tell you about Jesus and how to get saved, but he's not saved. If you're here this morning and you know about him, but you've never accepted him, you've never put your trust in him, oh, it's my desire you would know him. It's my desire I would weep over you. I want you to know him so bad. I don't want to see you leave this life or me leave this life and you not know him. I want to know you're going to be in heaven with us someday. Not because you attended every week. Oh, you good. You got a gold star. You showed up every week. I want to see you in heaven. That's where I want to see you show up. That's what Paul is telling them. But he's also saying, we can't be divided in here. If we are, our message will be diluted. Our message will they'll say, why would I want what you have? All you guys do is fight. All you do is quarrel amongst yourselves. You're arguing over should I be Baptist or whatever. We got, we got so spiritual we call ourselves independent around here. Because we're not in a denomination. We just believe what the word of God says. And we preach it. Or we do our best to do so. Brilliantly persuasive eloquence may win a person's mind but not his heart whereas the unadorned words of the gospel though seemingly foolish by human standards are made effective by the spirit of God oh it's that hope that the spirit of God will do that in your life that allows someone as challenged as me in preaching to be confident in it. Not competent, confident. Why? Because I prayed the Holy Spirit would show up here today. I prayed the Holy Spirit would use the words of a feeble-lipped man. It's got to be him that persuades your heart. I can't do it. Wish I could. I can beg and plead with you, though. 
because I have permission to do that. Look at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word of God. Man, it is the best thing there is. There's no TV program I could have watched this last week would have been anywhere near as good as studying your word and looking at you want us to know you and you provided a way for us to know you it was called your only begotten son and he died on our behalf he paid the penalty for our sins every one of them not one sin slipped through you paid for all of them and for that we say hallelujah thank you and it truly is amazing grace people while your heads bowed and your eyes are closed I don't do this very often but I just feel the need to say is there someone here this morning that maybe you've been coming week after week after week but you've never really put trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done if you're here and you feel that way this morning, if the Lord's talking to your heart, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life right now, would you just raise your hand? I won't make you come up here or anything, but would you raise a hand? Thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray if you're working in someone's heart that was afraid to raise their hand, even though I'm the only one looking at them. You look in the hearts of men, they don't have to raise a hand. They can simply call on you, call on your name, call on your son's name. And simple belief, just easy not easy on your behalf but on our part it's pretty simple to just place faith in it oh solidify the raising of the hand won't save you the not raising a hand won't save you but if you talk to him today if you tell him you want his son that you believe he died for you you can become a child of the king and be in the same family that we're in Lord, please do these things. Don't let the birds pick away at something that is planted. May it find deep root in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.